Hey everyone, what's up? It's your girl Nakia and welcome to the Fearless Kia Podcast. Hey everyone, what's up? It's your girl Fearless Kia. Welcome to another Fearless Friday. So this week's devotional is one's work may be finished someday, but one's education never. Unless you make every waking A learning process, you are wasting a major portion of your life. You can learn from people you do not like as well as from those you love. You can learn from the elders and the youth. You can learn more about the things you know about and fine-tune the things you are good at. You can learn by observing, listening, and serving. You can learn by assisting, completing, and forgiving. Never withdraw from the education process by picking and choosing from who you can learn. Keep your mind open, your ears attuned, and your willingness to learn in the humble state of a student. Friendly reminder... I'm learning a little more every day. And with that being said, we will go into this week's podcast guest. So this week's guest attended Northwestern University and majored in communication studies and urban policy. After graduating, she explored a variety of careers, including finance at Morgan Stanley, business analyst at Target Corp, and the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. However, during a role at a nonprofit, Sponsors for Educational Opportunity, she realized her passion aligned with helping source and develop talent of color, specifically in finance and private equity. After working for two years at SEO, she is currently at Google, where her role centers on finding and upskilling talent for a career in tech. She also partners with the product inclusion team and Area 120, Google's internal incubator and VC fund. It's a pleasure to welcome to the Fearless Kia podcast, Jody. Taylor. Hey, thank you for having me. Yay, <laughs> we here. Yeah. So, I usually like to start off the podcast, and I do this all the time, so everybody mm-hmm. knows my little spiel, but I usually like to start off the podcast and ask my guests, what is your deepest fear? Yeah, when you, <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why? So, I actually think that's a great question, um, and my answer is reflective of the question, because I think, um... My deepest fear is really centered around, like, ego and letting ego get in the way of, like, the work that I actually really want to do. And so similar to the quote that you read and similar to deepest fear, I think I and my peers are high achieving. So we spend a lot of time thinking about what we're good at. Mm -hmm. We spend a lot of time, like, um, you know, presenting ourselves in ways that are attractive via social media to our friends, to our employees, to our significant others, to whomever. Um, And I think that breeds an ego that sometimes gets in the way of, like, what you're actually supposed to be doing. Mm. And so being intentional about my life or wasting my life um, on things that feed the ego instead of things that are actually my calling and my purpose and what I'm aligned to do, Mm. that is probably my biggest fear. And that can kind of manifest in different ways. Ultimately, I won't be successful. I may be a failure if I'm, like, feeding my ego. Um, I'll be unhappy if I'm feeding my ego. Um, so not letting that get in the way of it, um, is, or, or, or not being able to pursue my life's passions or dreams because I'm really concerned about the external perceptions is a big fear. So speaking of the external perceptions, what are moments that, uh, you've come to face with that fear? Mm -hmm. How do you kind of actively work against it to not like 
fall into, you know, make, manifesting your fear to become a reality? Yeah. I think it's hard because I work at Google, so part of our um, promotion process is, like, um, you don't get promoted unless all the managers vote that you should be promoted. Mm. So you're not, like, your manager can't just say, oh, Jody deserves to be promoted. It's across... Uh, globally, every single manager has to say she is outperforming everyone else on her level, deserves to go to the next level. So I bring that up because that a lot of our work is around visibility. So we have to say, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm doing. Um, social media, a lot of people that I follow or a lot of, you know, even my peers are doing incredible work. Yeah. But a lot of their a lot of their lifestyle and their money and their um, livelihood comes from like, how many followers they have or how many likes do they have or mm-hmm. how many conferences or panels do they speak on. Um, and so I am – and New York City is a high-performing city as well. Yeah. Everyone who moves here is brilliant. Everyone who moves here is the best at what they do. You can't survive here otherwise. So you become very inundated in just like thinking about how, perception and like, okay, if I post this video, how many likes am I going to get? Or if I post, if I speak on this panel, is it worth my time? So I think aligning what I'm working on with, okay, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because it is selfish? Am I doing this because I'm going to get likes or because I'm going to get praise from my manager? Or am I doing this because I know what I want uh, Mm -hmm. 10 years from now or five years from now? I know what's important to me. I know what aligns with my skills and my goals, my passions, and and, and this centers around it. So I think it, it requires a lot of self-interrogation. Like, mm. what are you even passionate about? What are you interested in? What do you like to do? Um, what are your core values? Who are you? And then, like, really aligning everything that you do to that and not accepting everything just because you're going to get, you're going to be featured on a panel or yeah. you're going to be, you're going to get Instagram likes. Yeah, and I think that's very hard to do in today's, Social media industry in the pressure, like yeah. like you said, everyone's doing great everyone's things. Everyone's doing on it. panels. Everyone's mm-hmm. doing these things. So, um, to I think you mentioned a really important part, which is to do self check ins mm-hmm. and like to hold or self interrogations mm-hmm. and to hold yourself accountable. Um, what does your day to day routine look like as far as self care, but also making sure that you're self aware mm-hmm. what actions you're taking mm-hmm. each day and how mm-hmm. they're aligning against this fear? Yeah. Um, so self-care is a love-hate relationship for me because I think self-care um, has become very lofty and sometimes anxiety-inducing. Like, mm. there are some days where I'm like, oh, my God, I did not do self-care today. But sometimes just sitting on the couch is a form of self-care. That's so, a whole fact, okay? <laughs> so I also – so I try and be kind and forgiving with myself. Mm. But at the same time, I also – Think about what energizes me and like my self-care is not going to look like someone on Instagram or my best friend's self-care or my mom's self-care or someone else's projected self-care for me. So I think I know I know what I love to do and I know that I love um, to cook. I love to read and I love to like write. I love to spend quality time with people that I care about. And those or like in like one pampering event, like those are the things that really energize me right. and also like consistently learning. So every day I listen to a podcast. I listen to um, The Daily has a podcast. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Great podcast. 20 minutes, really in depth, usually around politics and policy. But, you know, they've done things around police violence. They've done um, really in-depth articles or podcasts around like 
the Palestinian and um, Israel conflict, like so many interesting topics. Also, NPR Up First has a great podcast I listen to every morning. Therapy for Black Girls is an incredible podcast that both black men and women and not people of color should listen to. So podcasts every morning. As I get to work, I think about like what are three things that I want to accomplish. Mm. If I'm really good, I also think about like three things that I'm grateful for. Mm. Um, I try and start my day with like a prayer, like a moment of gratitude. Um, so whether you're religious or spiritual or not, I think like we often can be very hard on ourselves. So taking a moment to be grateful about all the good things that we've done yeah. for like the day or the day before is important. Um, but also a sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. So outlining what I want to get done and then doing that and being okay with myself and forgiving and giving myself grace if I don't get it done. Mm. Girl, <laughs> grace. Honey. Yeah, I think we're really hard on ourselves in ways yeah. that are unproductive. Um, yeah, and so working out is something that I love to do. I told you I came from that prison boot camp, <laughs> whereas ex-convicts making me do push-ups. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's important to give ourselves great. I think, like, that's another thing that I think that we lose track of mm-hmm. when we're trying to attain so many things. We're trying to manifest mm-hmm. our dreams. We're trying mm-hmm. to hustle. We're trying to do all these different things. And if we do not measure up to the bar what we set for ourselves yeah. amongst our competitors yeah. or other people that are in this space and then we are hard on ourselves because yeah. we're like we're not doing enough yeah. we got 24 hours and they doing all of yeah. this and I took five hours to rest and that was too yeah. much yeah, too yeah, much yeah. time to rest mm-hmm. and it's like no like resting is a part it's of important. like the yeah, process exactly um, so I think it's very important when you talk about God's grace I mean not even God's grace grace for yourself yeah. but I wanted to touch upon um, you. You mentioned earlier that you want to make sure the things that you're doing is not feeding the ego, but mm-hmm. it's feeding the, your purpose, your mm-hmm. calling. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, the organization that you founded mm-hmm. and and more so how that came about and why is that so important to you? Yeah, absolutely. So I started Founders Collective, which we've now rebranded to the Startup Society because. Um, I was creating a, a business that I was super passionate about. And a bunch of my friends were also starting it, starting their own respective businesses at the same time. And some of my friends would blow up in a day or two weeks or they had a connection in PR or journalism. And like two weeks after starting their business, they were in um, like complex and medium and all these like really cool like sort of journalistic avenues. And I've had friends and myself included who were at it for like a year, a year plus, and like still had 200 followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a capacity to knowledge share, capacity to upskill and uplift yeah. each other. That was like, it was so needed in that space. Like, uh, I'm obviously in tech and, and, and <laughs> this may seem random, but Firefest was actually a really good um, indication of, of what I'm talking about of Firefest, a white man was able to get multiple millions of dollars in investment for okay <laughs> for a conference or for I'm sorry for a festival, festival. that didn't really exist. It was a fig- figment of his imagination. He had a business before, and he actually never had any real returns on that business either. But because of how he looked and how he comported himself, he had access to certain things. Um, and another black founder went on Twitter and, and was saying, like, I, I, those people also invested in me. And it took me so much time and, like, so many receipts for them to even invest anything into me. Yeah. Um, so I think that was the kind of space and the, the atmosphere that we were really working in is – there's such a deficit for women of color. There's such mm. a deficit when it comes to access, opportunity, education, resources, and capital that how can we create that space? So it really started in a group me. 
I was like, hey, gals, like, let's all get in this group me. You share what you're passionate about. You share what your business is. If we all follow each other, we're at least getting 100 new followers. If we all go to each other's launch parties, we'll all get, you know, at least a full room. If we all buy one product um, and started creating our own ecosystem. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how it started. And then um, I Google is an incredible, incredible place. And so I shared with them what I was working on. And they started giving me some money to host things like the dinner yes. and to host um, breakfast series and partnering now with the creative collective so you know it's hard starting your own business I mean if someone were to ask me what's your five-year plan for it I, I genuinely don't know it was supposed to just be a group me group for for women um, and now it's starting up where we're meeting up in South by Southwest or Afrotech or having dinner so it, it's a challenging but so so needed which is why I think so many women I mean within like two months we had doubled our attendance Google had jumped on it because they recognized that it, there is a major, major deficit yeah. in the space for, yeah. for black women founders. Yeah, and I think it's so important and what I wanted to talk about it because to bring together, like I was at the dinner, mm-hmm. um, and to bring together the women from all different fields, mm-hmm. right, to talk about the story, to talk about, like, you know, this is how you could help me, this is how I could help you, this mm-hmm. is what, you know, why I developed this, this is, you know, answering these questions more in depth and actually mm-hmm. saying them out loud in exactly. front of people who you may not know, mm-hmm. but you never know who's in the room and how they can help, uh, exactly. help you. It kind of even brings in that full circle of a seat at the table just to be at the yeah, table and to have that conversation. Table. Because there was moments where I was sitting here like, I don't really know why I'm here. Like, yeah. not that I don't know why I'm here, but like, I'm a podcaster, right? Yeah. And I know the people in the room are like, this is my business. Yeah. This is like, you know, I've been doing this for 10 plus years, mm. 5 plus years, and I kind of felt like, mm. did Jody pick the right person yes. to be here? And sometimes you feel like that, yeah. you know, and you don't feel like you have anything to offer, but like you're in a room for a reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to know that who who you are is enough, right? Yeah, and, exactly. and what you're offering to the table and the scope of what it is to be a woman founder or a woman entrepreneur or a woman creative or a woman hustler. Mm. It's so broad now these days so I had to take a step back I think I was telling Imani about this Mm -hmm. and be like okay you know no like you know have that conversation with myself that's Mm self-sabotage there but to be like you know you do deserve to be in this space and like own that and you know be present in this moment and it was truly an amazing experience so So I'm so grateful (laughs) for you to even invite me but to even see it flourish and to see that you're now partnering with Imani you know CCMIC and seeing these things really (laughs) Mm -hmm. start to Mm -hmm. manifest themselves I mean it's so important and I think that we get a bad stigma as women yeah particularly women of color when it's like we can't work together yeah like you see a lot of Black men in our community work together yeah. and work and have this brotherhood. Yeah. And you never really see, not that we don't see it, but like mm-hmm. we are, I believe, in New York are taking the initiative to really change that narrative mm-hmm. and saying, like, no, that's mm-hmm. not true. We can, mm-hmm. you know, we have to dispel these myths and these representations of how we were supposed talk yeah you know and unlearn yeah. those things um in a space so i just want to commend you and thank you for oh, even having you. that absolutely because um, it's important and absolutely. it's powerful um but i wanted to talk to you now that you have um this relationship mm-hmm. working at google as a woman of color um being in the tech industry if somebody was listening and um was aspiring mm-hmm. right to work in um, the tech industry it's not easy mm-hmm. you know 
It's like, mm-hmm. you know, when you pledging, y'all, it ain't yeah. that easy. You know, the road there is hard. But when you make it through. You're there. It's a you promised land. there. It yeah. is a promised land. But um, just as far as your experience to um, your journey into the tech space. Because, right, you started in yeah. finance and then you did nonprofit. Yeah. And then you ended up and landed in the tech yeah. space. How was that journey for you? Did you have moments where you were like, Am I enough? Mm. You know, should, yeah. do I deserve to be here? And like, kind of walk us and talk us yeah. through that. Yeah, yeah. So I studied communication studies and urban policy, like you shared, and I really love to hone in on that because you don't have to be a computer, you don't have to be a technical major in order to work in tech. So that's like myth number one. Let's dispel. I yes. literally don't know anyone at at Google or partner with anyone really who has a computer science major because that's a very specific major. If you want to be a software engineer, sure. But my best friend who referred me for the role is in a role um, in sales, which is revenue generating, and she was art history. Um, I was communication studies. The girl next to me was mathematics. So so one, study what you want to study in college. Um, Two, I didn't know I was going to end up in tech. It was certainly a series of unfortunate event that led me to tech. Um, So I worked in uh, banking asset management. So um, my parents are Jamaican. So they were like, you can be a doctor, lawyer, or business person. Like, you choose one of those (laughs) things. And didn't want to go to medical school. Thought about law school, but I didn't, like, my cousin kind of talked me out of it. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll go into finance. Um, It was terrible at it. Like, truly (laughs) atrocious at, like, Excel and all of those things. So... I kind of um, I moved to Minnesota at one point to work for Target as a business analyst, sort of like financial forecasting. And after four months, I left. I had no job, but I was like, look, this is torture. I'm bad at it. They're literally on the road to firing me. So, like, let me just remove myself. Yeah, I'll just remove myself from the equation because I know it's coming. Mm. Um, So, I moved back home for six months and I didn't have a job and I was looking everywhere. And And where was home home for you? Massachusetts. Massachusetts, okay. Yeah, so I moved back. I left all of my stuff in Minnesota. I moved back with like a suitcase full of clothes and my parents were like, I guess you're moving back. So I took that time to figure out what am I actually interested in and like Mm. what am I most passionate about, what energizes me. And, you know, I ended up at a nonprofit with 16 people. And it was interesting because you go to Northwestern and I went to private school and I had interned at Morgan Stanley and in finance. And I ended up going to a nonprofit that no one had ever heard of. And my Mm. friends, you know, I felt embarrassed even going to mixers or networking events. It's like, oh, man, my friends work at J.P. Morgan or work at... Mm. Deloitte and I'm working at this nonprofit that no one knows like this is embarrassing um but it was like the most incredible transformative experience I've ever had so mm-hmm. that literally crafted the skills that I needed to work at my role so I think working in tech it's a business right so obviously we have software engineers but we also have people who need to market products we need people to recruit the people we need um people to market our our new um, products or services that we're launching. Um, And so what I didn't know at the time working at this nonprofit, I was literally crafting the perfect skill set to work at Google. Right. So working at a nonprofit or working in these smaller companies. So most of my peers worked at TFA or worked at these really small organizations. You become, you get the skill set of grit, of resilience. You get the skill set of being able to like, take something from ideation to execution. So I became really good at certain things because it was only me and 15 other people. People, right. Yeah, so I would say, one, 
don't don't exclude yourself or self-sabotage yourself out of the hiring process because I think a lot of people are like, I'll never be able to get to Google. I never in a million years thought I was going to work at Google. That wasn't even my intent. I just wanted to move to New York City and finally get a job after six months. But um, at some point, I was like, look, I think I'm going to apply for this job at Google. And I did. And I didn't have, you know, a, a, a job at Facebook before. I'd never worked in tech before. But one... Um, these tech companies are so hungry for diverse talent. Um, so you are the exact, if you're a person of color, you are literally the exact candidate that they're looking for. Just make sure that you have positioned yourself by um, gaining transferable skills and having mm-hmm. experiences that are actually relevant to the role. But if you have that, it doesn't really matter like what school you went to. It doesn't really matter what major you had. What matters is those transferable skills, that grit. And I think most importantly to work in tech is intellectual curiosity, like yeah. being curious about the world. Yeah, and also not being afraid of the outcome of the process, exactly. right? You know, because you know, I interviewed yeah. a couple of tech, you know, <laughs> tech companies, and I will say – what I will say is I think that what got me so far is that I was like, all right, I'm just happy to be here. Because yeah. to be honest, at this point, I just am shocking myself that yeah. I even made it to this round and yeah. into this round and to that round. And when you let that pressure go, then it's like you're able to kind of be more natural exactly. in your delivery and not let the name of something mm-hmm. really prevent you from obtaining it. And exactly. I think it's interesting that you said, like, okay, you were at a mixer and you felt embarrassed like because... What is this company name, yeah. right? And I think we put a lot of weight, mm-hmm. um, which goes back to your fear, mm-hmm. on, like, the names of these companies mm-hmm. and how they represent us. I was even at a point ashamed to even say that I worked at my company mm-hmm. that, I used, that I used to work yeah. at for four years. Thank God I don't work there. Yeah. But I used to work there yeah. for, you know, four years. I used to be ashamed. But, and, and it wasn't a shame, like, oh, I'm ashamed of the company because this is a huge company yeah, sure. for, um, you know, the the 45 to 55-year-old, you know, white male demographic. Um, And it's a national news organization. Um, But at the same time, it wasn't relevant to my friends. And since it wasn't relevant to my friends Mm -hmm. and, like, my group, I was just like, oh, you had this dated organization. And we're at these cool hip organizations. And then what I had to realize is, like, at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that's not working Yeah. And none of these organizations. So, like, just be grateful. I think I had to learn gratitude in the process because, like, I had to be here to get to this next place. And, like, you just said, like, you had to go through this in order to be at Google. Now it's like, nobody's worried about that nonprofit that you used to worry. Nobody's checking. They're like, okay, cool. Exactly. Exactly. It was what it was. And I, I almost was like that, too. I was like, I cannot work at any company that doesn't have a... Name. name a brand and yeah. then I started to realize like doesn't mean look anything. I'm about these coins exactly yeah and I'm about this experience exactly. and if a smaller company sees my value and sees and aligns that with you know yep. my worth yeah then so be it yeah because you know the grass is not always greener on that side of larger companies mm-hmm. all the time and sometimes they are like a Google yeah they are yeah. greener yeah. okay <laughs> But, like, I'm just saying, like, sometimes yeah. you ha- there is a give and take in mm-hmm. a sacrifice regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad you mentioned that, too, yeah. because, like, that journey is not everybody assumes, like, tech, you have to, like, yeah. have this degree no. and go no. through this 
program and you know yeah no absolutely not that it's not it's attainable and i think people need to know like it's attainable like you too could you know work at wherever you want to work whether it's tech whether it's finance whether it's music industry whatever the case may be um but i wanted to shift gears a little bit and ask you more about more of the personal note i know Mm. we talked a lot about professional um but on a personal note do you feel like at this time in your life that you are fulfilled Mm. Hmm. Uh, yes, in a lot of ways. I think the hard part is when you're, there's a test called Strength Finders. Mm-hmm. You can essentially figure out what are your five strengths. And so we employ this a lot because oftentimes our entire lives we're told, don't focus or focus on your weaknesses and make those strengths. So I'm not great in analytics or quant. My whole life I've been going to math tutoring. I tried to do finance, et cetera. If I spend 100 hours a week focusing just on, like, math, I'll probably be average at best. (laughs) So I may as well focus a lot of my, like, strength or a lot of my time um, honing and refining my strengths. Right. So one of my strengths is being an achiever. And so an achiever is one of those people who feels constantly, like, what's next? You know, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, oh, you're good. You're able to, you have a great job and you make a good salary and you have all these side businesses and you have a robust lifestyle. So the reason why I hesitated at first is, like, I'm thinking about all the other things that I want to do. But when I actually sit and reflect on what I'm most happy about and the sort of brands that I've been able to create and the things that really fill me and, like, fulfill me, um, I have an incredible family. I have an incredible set of friends who really pour into me, mm-hmm. who challenge me. And I think that's the most important thing in terms of how I feel fulfilled. Yeah. Friends who are able to kind of challenge me in meaningful ways and and, uh, and peers who challenge me. I have a job that challenges me yeah. and also rewards me. Um, so I feel fulfilled in a lot of ways. Do I feel finished and done and complete? No, never. No, of That's course not. not. That, but we still on our mission. God has us on this earth exactly. for a reason. Exactly. But do I feel content and satisfied and a, pe- a sense of peace? Absolutely. So then I wanted to ask you, since you do value these relationships mm-hmm. with your family and you value these relationships with your friends and that is what makes you fulfilled and, and happy at this mm-hmm. moment, like we just discussed, what does healthy relationships look like to you? Mm, relationships with boundaries. That's what healthy relationships <laughs> look like. Um, I, it's, so, it's, it's a question that is challenging and hard because healthy relationships will look different depending on who the person is. Mm. But for me, healthy relationships mean, um, one, I find a lot of value in being challenged in my friendships. So my friends have the capacity to make me grow in some ways, whether that's professionally, personally, intellectually, emotionally. They'll check me when I'm not being fair. They'll give me feedback when I'm not being right or being kind. Um, They'll, I mean, some of my friends are literally the most brilliant people I know. So when we argue, they'll present like really methodical and like logical arguments. So I say that to say, the growth potential is really important to me in like healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. I don't feel as though all of your friends should be homogenous in the sense that you're all doing the same things and everyone is cheering you on. And of course, support is important, but you also need friends to challenge you and to check you and 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 to encourage you. Yes, but to also make sure that you're you're kind of at your full growth potential. On the flip side, I think boundaries are really important. And it's something that I'm still discovering and kind of playing with because I think oftentimes we grow up just wanting to be liked, particularly as women. It's like, oh, just like me. I just need friends, blah, blah, blah. But kind of understanding like 
feedback is a process that you should not only be giving to your manager, but you should be giving to your significant other or to your friends. So you should say, you know, I don't like when you said that. Or, you know, I know we're friends, but actually I need some personal time this week and I can't hang out. Or actually, you know what? Um, I can't go to brunch this week and I'm trying to save money. So being able to really be attuned to who you are and then making sure that your friends are aware and support that. And it's not about being mean. It's not about being distant. But it's also about valuing valuing yourself and yeah. then letting like other people align around that is really, really hard. So growing up for me... I was kind of always like the nice girl, you know, growing up. And I began to despise that. All my performance reviews, like my first year out of college, was like, Jody's a pleasure to work with. Jody's so nice. Um, and not, of course, I want to be nice, but I also want to be someone who has boundaries. I want to feel respected. I yeah. want to feel honored. I want to feel as though like my word has weight. And so practicing that in my friendships also allowed me to carry that over into my professional space yeah. as well. Yeah, I think that's a very important point that you hit on is like practicing that mm-hmm. in your personal life will transfer over into your professional life. I think it uh, was Melanie, one of my podcast guests before mm-hmm. that said, how you do one thing in your life, mm-hmm. the way that you do it, you do that in all aspects of your life. And I think that's very true and very important to um, highlight. I also um, think that it starts to challenge you as a person to say like you know how I want to say how strong you are Mm -hmm. but um how much you care about yourself Mm -hmm. you know I think that sometimes we we used to let I know like when I was growing up I used to let a lot of things slide yeah and be like oh let's just and after a while I'd be like yeah you know now I'm you know I'm doing a disservice to myself because I'm allowing someone to treat me this way and because of that like I'm going to allow other things to happen across board and at some point it's going to become too much yeah I agree it's come too much to handle so understanding that you are working and practicing boundaries right because Mm -hmm. it takes time to really understand Mm -hmm. what boundaries you need Mm -hmm. to put Mm -hmm. up and like practice Mm -hmm. with people how do you carry that into, um, I know we talked about friendships and families and work life, but how do you carry those boundaries into relationships? Mm. As in a relationship, <laughs> as in dating, <laughs> as in companions. Uh, <laughs> I knew it was going to get here. Gosh. <laughs> I will do my best to imagine what this looks like, but yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think... Practicing boundaries is incredibly important because, and it's like kind of a cliche saying, so I hate saying it, but truly you teach someone how to treat you. So if if you're able to check someone the first time they say something slick, and I think, you know, from a statistical standpoint, there are significantly less black men uh, available than there are black women. Um, Yeah, so I feel like women may feel as though they're at the deficit, right? In the sense of, I need to get a man. And so that I need to get a man may allow some boundaries to kind of slip. And so Mm -hmm. being aware of like, okay, what is it that is really important to me? And like staying hold and fast and true to that, someone will come along who adheres to it. Mm -hmm. And if they don't fall in place, they will fall out of place and boom, you've eliminated one like waste of time. So I think 
boundaries is incredibly important and to the flip side vulnerability is also equally yeah, as important absolutely so not being so like I, oh, if he doesn't do this and if he doesn't do that and if he doesn't like that's silly knowing what's really important to you like if someone who's a Christian is really important to you or someone who doesn't swear at you or someone who doesn't like whatever that looks like for you but also vulner- vulnerability and practicing that is also incredibly important and like knowing who's worth opening up to and like sharing your full self with someone but also doing the good work to figure out who is worth opening up to first that's a whole fact <laughs> and then sharing not part of yourself or not the veneer or not the outside that looks really good but actually being truly authentic and giving people access to your authenticity is important how do you decide who's really worth opening up to versus not ooh honey, I wish I had all the answers but <laughs> Um, I I think it's a practice um, because, you know, people fool you all the time, right? (laughs) People will fool you all the time. Fraudulent activity out here. But I think it's it's baby steps. You show them a little bit and then you see how they respond and then you show them a little bit more and you see how they respond. And I also think, like, we know. We know, but we choose to ignore. We, like, men know when the woman is not it and women know when the man is not it. And oftentimes we're like, oh, but he's so cute. Oh, maybe it was just a blah, blah, blah. No, we know very much if this person is a fit, if there's chemistry, attraction, yeah. if he's a good person. And, of course, people get fooled and people, you know, people can have whole secret lives. But but I do think, like, it's a practice. You show a little bit more, you watch how they react. Um, you show a little bit more than that, you watch how they react. And then also how they, how they engage in other areas of their lives. There's often telling of, like, how they'll engage with you, how they treat their family or their friends or how they, their approach to work or their approach to, like... You all like home ownership or renting or buying a car, whatever the financials, their approach to a lot of things will likely be indicative of their approach to how they may engage dating. So that's a whole word yeah. sermon and message. Amen. <laughs> be observant. Hello. Be observant. You know what it is. That that's really you it. Know what it is. That's it. I feel like we we touched on that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like hallelujah. You know. <laughs> so uh, to close off the episode, I wanted to ask you two questions. Yeah. One, what has kept you rooted um, despite the life storms that have come your way? Mm. Uh, you know what? It's actually interesting. I am an overly optimistic person. So life storms, of course, happen. Uh, you know, that's, that's natural. Um, but I have mastered the mindset of like, It'll be okay. You know, I've never felt this, like, deprived, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think it's truly just, like, the mastery of optimism is something that will keep you grounded. Mm. And I know there is, like, I'm sure for some people it's God, for some people it's their family, for some people, you know. But I do think the greatest gift that I've been able to give myself and teach myself is being able to, like, master Like, this is a situation. This isn't, like, a defining point in my life. Like, this is something bad that has happened, but it does not mean my life is bad. Mm. This is something bad that's happened to someone else, or this is a death, but that doesn't mean my life is over. Mm. And being able to frame situations as temporal and not, like, there's no longevity to it. Like, you can be going through a bad situation for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year. But that's not indicative of how the rest of life goes. And so being able to, like, really sit in that... I think changes everything. Like yeah. literally changes everything. Yeah, I think that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. I think that also leads into what I was going to ask you was more so what are, you know, what's one kind of life lesson um, or principle um, that has guided you 
you know, through this point in your journey and that you keep with you to, like, live a more fearless life? Mm. I think um, I've never not done it, and it, it may not make sense, but I've always been in spaces where mm, maybe I wasn't the most qualified or mm, maybe I wasn't supposed to be there, but I've never not done it. Like, I've always found a way to, to make it happen. So, you know, I was at um, Northwestern, and there were times where I was struggling in classes where I didn't necessarily know what was going on, but I managed to get through it. I always bet on myself, and I think having that confidence you will make it through a lot of things and you will figure it out. So doubling down, betting on yourself and not the circumstance mm. is literally like how you manifest through life. Like there's plenty of moments to have imposter syndrome. <laughs> I walk into Google every day and there's I'm usually one of one or I can walk into a conference room and I'm the only one. Um, and I have one of two options at that moment. I can either acquiesce to the fear and be like, damn, what I'm going to say is not that important. Or what I'm going to say is like not that interesting or dynamic. Or I'm in this space for a reason. Guess what? I'm going to show up and show out. And like doubling down on who I am and betting on myself, all the chips on you all the time. All the time. No one can do it better than you. No one is better than you. And that's all you got. Oh. <laughs> yes, honey. That's I'm taking it. that confidence yes. with me, okay? Yes, for the rest it. of the weekend, for the rest <laughs> of the weeks to come yes. up. Because, like, what? That's how, young. Yeah, that is a whole, you just got me together. Yeah. I'm like, that's how I'm coming in every day moving forward. Like, yeah. I don't care who none of y'all are. Uh, I don't exactly. care if I'm the new person. Exactly. Because the thing is, you've been through so many challenging situations. You've made it through each and every one. That is so true. So if you look at your track history, nine times out of ten you're going to make it, or you're going to figure something out. So I feel like just reflect on like every single time you've come, you've went through something, you always make it through. So why would you stop betting on yourself now? Like that's a whole fact. Because yeah. I was like, I was mentioning something the other day. Like I almost left. I almost gave up on her. And mm. her being me. Mm. Because I almost was like, you know what? I'm tired of this. I've yeah. been doing this for a long time. Yeah. And you get to that point, yeah. right? Like, you know, I've been trying to leave my job for those who didn't know. Mm. I was trying to leave my last job for like four years. Mm. Not the whole four years, yeah. but like two. To give all yeah. two, two. But And it so felt like the longest mm. journey. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to just. Yeah be a good old government worker and just stay here yeah. and just ride this out. No shades of government workers. I know I'll be bringing it yeah. up that. But, like, you know, I was just at that point where it's like, I'm just going to collect a check. Yeah. And I just knew everything in my body and my being was like, I'm not fulfilling God's yeah. purpose on this world. Like, he has more required for me, and this is not it. Yep, so, like, absolutely. every moment where I almost, almost was like, all right, I'm done. I was like, no, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Exactly. Just a little bit more. And that little bit more just got me right through right where you need to, be. to the next thing. And I thank God every day for giving me that strength. Because I could have easily been like, fuck it. Yeah. I'm good. Exactly. But I don't want to be mediocre. Exactly. And that's why you're an achiever. That's, <laughs> that's really that's it. That's it. You know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I usually like to close off the episode with a quote that ties to my guest's fear. Before we get into that, first, I want to say thank you so much for of your time and coming to Fearless Kia Podcast, you know. And she's a soror. Hey. Yeah. You know. I so saw all your know. rings. I was like, does she? Yeah, yes. we talked about this before. Yes. The greatest sorority in the world. You know, so, <laughs> you know, it's always a pleasure. And you yeah. gave us all those gems. And I was like, yes, that's my soror. <laughs> 
you know, no shades to other, you know, the other sororities because I have a lot of women yeah. who have come on a podcast about their yeah, sororities. You know, I'm sisterly and I love them very much. <laughs> but you know, I gotta rep every time yeah. I get a a Delta, yeah. you know, on the podcast. But I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank Absolutely. you so much for your knowledge, for your perspective, yeah. for your inspiration. Um, that's my bad. My phone. <laughs> But I would like to close out the episode with this quote, um, and it goes, Do things that feed your soul, not your ego, and you will always be happy. Mm, amen. That was it. That's it. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Okay. Yeah. That's it. You'll always be happy. Amen. 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 You'll never go hungry. If you're feeding your soul, not your ego, you'll never go hungry. See, this is why she on the show. <laughs> Because that's all bar, okay? <laughs> that right there. No. I do freestyle. <laughs> no, guys. It was a pleasure um, having Jody on this week. I hope you guys are inspired to go into the weekend and really continue to work on your dreams, your goals, your aspirations. Um, until next time, it's your girl, Phyllis Kia. I'm wishing you nothing but love, light, and many a blessings. And we are out. <laughs>